passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 2022 represents a new dawn for Formula One. The biggest overhaul the regulations have ever had. The drivers will love it because they are fighters, like in the Colosseum. How are you feeling about being in the chair? Right. There's so much potential for the order to be flipped. It's a step into the unknown. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special edition. It is our Drive to Survive review. I am John Pollock, and joining us, he is he is everyone's P1, Wei Ting, who is with us, and a very special guest, Chris Elliott, on the line with us as well. What a what a collection of race experts that we have here between uh, uh, me and Wei that are going to try and live up to uh, Chris's knowledge base. Hello, Chris. How are you all doing? We're doing well. We're we're ready to drive and survive over this next hour as we uh, discuss uh, season five of uh, Drive to Survive. And Way, uh, you made the selection to bring on uh, Chris. So, first yeah. of all, let's let's start a, a little bit um, way with just your, your thought process of uh, starting this show and reaching out to Chris. Well, you know, John and I uh, um, wanted to do this sort of sort of series because you know we're both very excited, of course, for the new season, um, and we wanted to talk about it anyway. I personally felt that um, there might be slight um, expectations for us to, you know, make sure that we have all of our facts right. And I just simply didn't feel like we were capable enough um, ourselves. I mean, as 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 knowledgeable as you and I are. So, you know, I thought to look to our audience, sort of like our community of like, you know, people that have kind of like taken a step forward as um, sort of um. Uh, I don't necessarily want to say leaders, but like, you know, people that have um, expressed um, a a knowledge of of the sport far beyond us. And Chris is actually somebody who has I would actually classify him as a bit of a leader in terms of um, um, talking about F1 and, um, you know, carrying on much of the conversation, especially in the discord. So um, this felt like a perfect opportunity to have Chris on as uh, one of the voices and, you know, um, that will be leading on throughout the review. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, how far you go back with F1 and uh, and do you look down at us Drive to Survive news <laughs> that have uh, jumped on post-pandemic? Um, so I go, like, wait, I mean, this is, like, the, the only things that are probably, like, the same kind of length of time for my, like, fandom is pro wrestling and football. That's how far back this goes. It's, like, I remember sitting down i'd live pretty much like in the country so there wasn't a great lot to do apart from sit with my dad on a weekend and watch sport and nine times out of ten that was either soccer or it was a motorsport of some kind and f1 was usually the one that was on tv 
Yeah. And, and what is your perspective on like, you know, this sort of newfound fame, uh, international uh, uh, attention that F1 has had as a result, I, largely of DTS? I think that like, I, like anything that grows a sport is, is a big thing. Um, I know that there's a there's a lot of like the like the historical fans who were, oh no, we don't we we don't want to do this. We, I think F one's always really been like a, it's kind of been a secretive sport, and any whilst the the ability to see inside the sport is amazing for for I think a lot of the longtime fans. It's the the influx of of new fans. I think to some is like there's a there's a bit of gatekeeping there. Um, mm-hmm. and but I I don't I I don't have any issue with it. I think any any way that gets people into this, I I love the sport and it's any way that grows it is, is great. Yeah, and, and and maybe just a, a little bit of your perspective on Drive to Survive itself, and, and maybe not just yours, but you know what's the general consensus among maybe more of a diehard F one fan base about the show. I think the worry is just how the, the the worry that comes from from the long-time fans is is how some of the um like some of the scenes aren't necessarily as as uh in context as it should be. Um you look at certain situations within the show and it's quite clear that that's not quite the order that these things happened or um I know Lando Norris in particular had uh, took issue with uh, he was, I think, he was doing a reaction video on YouTube, and he was like, "No, that's I remember that incident, and that's not how that happened." And they were trying to manufacture some kind of uh, uh, issue that wasn't really there. And I think that part of it, that's the negative part that we don't necessarily want to have in the sport. But the rest of it, like, I, I think it's it the the. Like the the look behind the scenes is is quite interesting. It's just you you don't want to be creating a, a Real Housewives kind of um, uh, oh, the, the Real of Housewives of F one is absolutely uh, pardon the pun <laughs> greenlit. I mean that is seems inevitable. Uh, the girlfriends yeah. of F one maybe uh, because you know just uh, just imagine starring you get, Ginger Spice. Yeah, Ginger Spice could be the lead and then just, just build around them. Um, this could be tremendous yeah. television. The, the, there's this part later that I, that I want to talk about Ginger Spice later on because there's a part where I'm just like, she made me cringe and it was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, and it's because of, you know, of much of that criticism um, that I think it's so helpful to have somebody like you on, Chris, you know, to be able to maybe help us decipher of what might be reality versus what might be uh, hyper edited in this case. And, you know, as, as a new fan like like John and I um, watching the previous seasons without having followed the, the actual uh, F1 races. Um, I don't know if we were any the wiser to, you know, any sort of manipulation that was going on. So it was really uh, interesting for me to like go through season five, having seen the live races for the first time to be able to maybe find out for myself, you know, what, what might've been, um, egregious in editing. Um, so yeah, maybe we should just get into the episodes, John. Yeah, we're going to be talking about episodes one, two, and three, and then on subsequent Thursdays this month, we will be doing shows on the Post Wrestling Cafe uh, with guests joining us, where we will go through the rest of the 10-episode season that is all out on Netflix for people to chat uh, or to check out. So let's, let's dive into episode one, which is The New Dawn, 
And instantly, we are reunited with the star of Drive to Survive, Gunther Steiner, and his winemaking mate. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that. Mattia Bonotto of Ferrari, who would have quite the, uh, the tumultuous season uh, with Ferrari. And this is the calm before the storm of the season to begin. And I guess maybe just to bring people up to speed, Chris, um, th- they are coming off one of the most dramatic endings to an F1 season ever between uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. And this season five, it feels as though everyone is caught up to the popularity and everyone understands just how big this is coming off of that 2021 season. Yeah, um, it's that that finale in in Abu Dhabi it's the it's it's the hollywood moment that you want it's the everything coming down to the final uh moment which obviously spoilers we didn't kind of get in 2022 but um the season was, is basically over by the summer is what we are going yeah, to be getting pretty to. much <laughs> but but it was and i think the the combination and this was another part that that kind of created another um another bit of controversy in terms of like how much of that ending was to play into the Netflix show and how much was to go into there. Um, it was, but it, it was just the, the, like you, the, that start of the, the start of the show, you've got the, basically the previously on and it's showing you all the, the, the drama of the end of the season. And then you, you all of a sudden you just get dropped in and there's the, the little Italian music and the little car going through the Dolomites. And it's the complete juxtaposition of these two moments. Um, mm. I, I made, it gave me a good laugh uh, seeing this change. Because we're putting this on the free feed, maybe, maybe it's worthwhile to at least catch people up who might not even be aware of, you know, what, what exactly happened at the end of um, the, the 2021 season. Oh, okay. So, Let's see if I can remember. <laughs> so the, the 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 season ends. Um, it's it comes down to Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. They're tied on points. If Hamilton wins, he wins the title, obviously, and he's at the front. He has dominated the majority of the race. And with about five laps to go, there's a crash, and out comes the safety car. And the the issue for for Lewis Hamilton is then right. Do I change my tires and possibly drop behind Max? Or do I stay out and take the risk? And it, the risk was taken that he was going to stay out, which then allowed Max Verstappen to come in, knowing fine well that he could take the pit stop and not have to worry about um, about losing a position because he was clear in second place. Um, however, there were lapped cars between the, the two drivers. So we get to the position where they're about... Like, like the, everything's cleared, but they need to get rid of the lap cars. And usually that's a, a like a one and a half, two lap process, but they let the cars go that were lapped. They let them go. Um, and instead of waiting for those cars to get a reasonable distance around the track, they were then, right, those cars are clear, let's race. And that then meant that you've got Max Verstappen on fresh tyres that are just nicely warmed up after a few laps behind the safety car, and Lewis Hamilton on all tyres, who's going to be struggling for grip. And there was a lot of unhappy people in Mercedes because obviously we got halfway round. The, the the fresh tyres come in for Max, he gets past Lewis, and he wins the world title. There's a mm. lot of ha- unhappy uh, people in Mercedes because it's like, well, hold on, how comes you've done this? Um 
in order you've kind of manufactured the finish by allowing these cars to go past and not giving the the extra time in order for them to get away to give the the, the lead cars the time the, the space in mm-hmm. order to race and the decision to you know have the race play out that way was due to the FIA director who subsequently was fired from his position in the off season. Yeah, uh, Michael Massey, his name was, and he uh, he was yeah he was forced out, which was kind of understandable. Although I don't think he was he was put into a particularly great position himself. Hmm. So, so very like you know, the, one of the most controversial um, endings, I would say, you know, as far as like these drive to survive seasons goes. Um, great television, but um, certainly brought up a lot of um, controversy among the the fan base. Um, in the audience's eyes, did they view this um, like Max Verstappen win as illegitimate? Like, is he coming into this season, or or was it just more so like a disappointment that you know we didn't get a, a real proper finish um i mean, from my point of view speaking i mean obviously the majority of fans i speak to will be british fans and the majority of those will be lewis fans so there was a feeling of of, of real bitterness there that like he got the title taken away from him when realistically i mean max was the better driver that like if you go through the whole season he was the better driver he um the, the lead that he built up which obviously lewis into over the course of the back end of the season, um, but there was there was definitely a, a lot of bitterness there towards the ending, and it almost felt as though this was manufactured, um, which made it, I think, difficult to take for a lot of people. Hmm. This season also sees the return of Max Verstappen to the series because uh, they had Max Verstappen had removed himself from Drive to Survive, but he finds his way back here. Um, and we, you are starting to see, you know, at, at this at this point where they're four seasons deep, I think you have a lot of understanding among the the drivers and the principals that drive to survive is this necessary evil that they can see, they can attribute so much of the explosion and popularity to this series. At the same time, there's criticism about the editing and how they are presented, and you have Toto Wolf here, who is my favorite. Uh, principal slash driver character in all of this uh stating that this series is closer to top gun than it is a documentary so i don't know what that means because here is an oscar nominated film so he's not he's not disputing the quality but when it comes to accuracy uh maybe there is some heavy fiction uh involved here but that seems to be among those is you know, for a Gunther Steiner, I think this guy would be like, if you want to shoot me sleeping, if you want to film me every day, I think Gunther Steiner is more than happy and realizes uh, this is his greatest uh, exposure. But for your Mercedes and Red Bulls that have a bit more leverage in things, I think they can be more selective. But this Max Verstappen return, I think even he understands that it's better to be on board than forgotten about on on this series. I wonder, I wonder, like, you know, Chris, do you know if there's like any sort of um, maybe higher, um, you know, uh, I, I guess, boss that, that might be forcing uh, contractually or something, you know, Max Verstappen to participate? Um, not as far as I'm aware. I know, like, everybody's kind of uh, governed by the owners, Liberty Media, who are kind of, who are very much, this is their baby and this is what they, they like, 
they they as, as an American company, their their like idea is they want to break America, and obviously, if you want to you want to break into new territory, you want to get the the best out of it. You need to have the um like the top people in it, and Max was clearly a big miss. Although I I dare say I like I've watched all of the season. I don't think he particularly adds all that much, but just having his presence and having him there, I think is 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 something that was big for the uh for the creators and for the for the for Liberty Media in general. Yeah. Go ahead, Way. I was just going to say about that Total Wolf line. I mean, I love the fact that they included it on the show. I mean, I think it's a, it's a very self-aware line for um, an edit to, you know, not um, take that out. And it's almost as if, like, the show at this point is kind of embracing that criticism and being able to say, yeah, like, this is – don't watch this as if you're expecting a documentary. Watch this kind of like professional wrestling. Like, we all know it's not real, but we find entertainment in the storytelling. And I would recommend people watch – all reality TV with that same lens. Don't expect the documentary. Expect entertainment. So all our favorites are back. Gunther Steiner, reporter Tom Buxton is back as well. Uh, Will as Buxton. dramatic as ever. Will Buxton, I'm sorry. Um, then I guess one of the major stories is the fact that going into this season, there are new regulations and a cost cap. Do you want to uh, elaborate a little bit, Chris, on what this means for the drivers and the teams? So uh, the, for the t- for the teams, really, it's just it's to help the little the smaller teams out because you look at a, a Red Bull, a Mercedes, a Ferrari, and the amount that they spent that pre cost cap, the amount that they were spending was like ridiculous. Um, and in order to allow it the field to become more competitive, you've got to you know you've got to limit the amount that those guys could spend. So say a a Haas or an Alpine or uh, Williams, whilst they're, you know, clearly that it's a lot of money that they're spending in, in realistic terms. In a comparative terms, it's it's next to nothing. It's um, so to try and make everything e- equal, like put the cap on, and then it means that the, the 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 smaller teams can hopefully catch up a little bit. Although I I don't necessarily think it's it's going to make an immediate impact. I think. We're looking at long term here in terms of it actually meaning something. Hmm. And, you know, one of one of the lower end teams is Haas that does get a lot because of the, the Gunther Steiner connection and the fact that the drama involving their rotation of drivers has been great for this series. Um, they are featured here that they have a offseason uh controversy because of the Russian attack on Ukraine and this ends up leading to their driver Nikita Mazepin being dropped from from Haas and thus the prodigal son Kevin Magnuson is back and they put together a montage of all the blow-ups between Magnuson and Gunther including the door being slammed and he's back and this is this is presented as his last shot at F1 so I don't know how many people were expecting Kevin Magnuson to be one of the featured uh, players here on our first episode of season five, but way he is back on team Haas. How often do drivers come back after, you know, essentially being ousted from the league? It's very rare. Um, I'm trying 
I don't think off the top of my head if there's anybody in particular, but no, it's it's not something that happens particularly often. Once once you're gone, unless you've you've had a particularly um like amicable split, the vast majority of times you're done with that team. Hmm. I'm also more and more enjoying that Gene Haas has now become almost like the George Steinbrenner figure on Seinfeld, that we never see him anymore. It's just Gene, Gene, did you see how we did today? And Anytime. he's just on the phone. We never see Gene anymore. And he's like this, the mysterious Wizard of Oz that Gunther communicates with. And, and, he, and I'm sure like the editors are, are very aware and the producers are very aware because every time like Gunther says something remotely close to, I got to talk to Gene, I got to call Gene. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's one of the best things about the Gunther Steiner character. We can all relate to a man who is constantly stressed out about having to report bad news to his boss, right? Um, so he's he's like he's almost like the Waylon Smithers to like you know Gene's Mr. Burns. It's it's a wonderful dynamic. <laughs> well, Haas, dude, they were doing cartwheels when Magnuson gets. Uh, he's the seventh fastest in qualifying. So a huge start here to the season for uh, Haas. What did you think about the edit um, that they made here? Where like in in qualifying they had like so they were setting up Magnuson as like you know sort of like the rebellious hothead who is famous for smashing a door on Gunther Steiner. And then there's like a team like communication through the headset for Magnuson um, telling him that he only had like one lap to like, you know, really qualify. And then they almost <laughs> they have they have Magnuson almost like zoning out and not responding immediately. And then they cut to almost like a dream sequence of like Magnuson thinking about his newborn child. And that's how we're informed that this is a change, man. This is a man who now has to grow up because he has a lot more to fight for. What do you guys think about that presentation? Um, it, it, to me, it was very much like the, um, like the classic reality, like reality show, like the talent show where it's like, and the winner is, and then you just get that, like, like 10 second just delay and like nobody's saying anything and you just sort of like, just spit it out and get it onward. You know that there, you know that there's, there is no delay in it. There is no kind of like split this like probably yeah you you ready and he's like yeah that's fine but obviously you want to create the dramatic tension and it's um i, I did find it for the little montage was really funny there's I also thought... no there's also no better device to gain sympathy than some troubled figure who now has a baby <laughs> and now you're rooting for them it's like okay now there's a baby relying on this man's success so we are all team magnuson wasn't this wonderful? Because like it gave you it, it, this professional wrestling, right? It gave you motivation to for for why this guy has to has to succeed on this qualifying lap. He's not just there to you know score a, a points for his team. He's there to essentially be able to provide for his family. It, it it's almost like a Dickie Bird promo for an up next Rumble. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Yes. I'm, I'm sure that was I, his inspiration in the in this it, episode. It, it was. Uh, Sorry, it was it was just it, just the way you've described it. It was almost like that. For the, sorry, I'm gonna stop. Stop. stop sorry. Uh, th- this was in Bahrain, correct? This was the first yes. race of the season. Yes. So, and where they will be this weekend. So, um, we go through with the race. Uh, Leclerc gets pole. Verstappen second, and that's essentially these are going to be our two. I- interesting that at the beginning. This is very much positioned as the rivalry, not so much Hamilton and Verstappen, but these are the two that are going to be gunning for one another uh, for the championship this season. Uh, Verstappen, uh, 
you know, we look back at 2022 as this dominant run, but, you know, he got off to a really bad start and we see him not even complete the race in Bahrain and and his teammate Sergio Perez loses power with two laps remaining. So both Red Bull cars do not finish the race. Uh, Leclerc wins and Carlos Sainz is second uh, with Magnussen fifth leading to our best line of the whole episode from Gunther. This is medicine. Medicine, Gene. We got medicine. medicine. Let me tell you, Gene. I got to call Gene. I got to call Gene. Uh, so, dude, Ferrari is 1-2, and Red Bull does not even start. So uh, a far cry from the fortunes uh, throughout the season. But um, after one episode, that is, uh, that is the early uh, lead that Ferrari has on the field. It, 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 you know, it's, first of all, like, we're coming off of the last season that, that you know, was completely dominated by this Mercedes versus Red Bull rivalry. And the first race, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many people, I, at least if you're only following the results from the prior season, expected um, neither of those teams to even be, you know, in in real conversation for uh, winning the the race. And and how many people would have expected a Haas to take a P5, which you know, fifth in a in a race of twenty, I guess, like to the average layman, might not seem that significant. But when you consider that you essentially have like six positions pretty much tied up by the top three teams, most races, Haas not even being in con- the conversation of like you know somebody who typically buys for like a number four, it, it's way beyond expectations for them. And, and, and what is the the, the dollar like? A, a difference like uh, between let's say you know a, a p5 and and i don't know p9 for instance like or, or just even like each spot um i mean really that i don't think it necessarily has as much in terms of like from a race to race perspective um it doesn't really have all that much bearing it's more so they in, in fact if you ask any of the 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 teams that their priority really rather than the drivers championships actually the constructors because mm-hmm. it's the constructors championship that determines like the amount of money that you that you receive um in prize money come the end of the season and that that can be you know one one place can be millions and millions of of dollars it's, that to me is still one of the most enjoyable strategy elements to all of this is that you're part of a team and sometimes your your goals are not going to be in alignment with your teams. And that's where you see uh, competitiveness between drivers and at times uh, your team making a call to uh, give up a lead and a driver that might not want to give up the lead. I think that adds such a such an interesting strategy to all of this, too, and how a driver is going to uh, place themselves ahead of their teammate or or concede to their teammate and how that works for the the overall goals of the company versus the driver i thought the episode also really set up um well you know mattia bonotto's story of this season and and that's him essentially sort of um talking about the pressures of you know leading a team like ferraris and how we kind of know it ends for him um basically this first episode was telling us that if he doesn't do well he's going to lose his job and um you know um that that he that that unfortunately um you know will will come to fruition how did you feel way like at least for me watching the prior seasons i'm watching with like a fresh eye towards all this and how is this going to go and 
like you following this season very closely, like you know what the outcomes are in several of these stories. How did you find watching it when when you know where you know the the Ferrari mm-hmm. principle is headed and and outcomes as well? I think it takes away a, a bit of the suspense. You know, like last year or prior seasons, not knowing who was actually going to win the seasons, um, it, it made the show maybe a lot more exciting in that sense. From this perspective now, I'm also more so watching it just to see like how they retell the stories, how they edit the, the, the stories, and how they group them together. Um, I'm, I'm watching it more from a production standpoint, almost the way like I watch professional wrestling a lot of the times if I know the, the result. Um, still enjoyable, but maybe without that initial suspense. You know, It's like watching something if you already read spoilers can i ask a, a question for the pair what how where do you feel about the, the like the the in-race commentary in terms of like during the documentary because i always have a bit of an issue with it myself because it's you can tell the lines where it's like it's clear where it's like in races i know that there's like two or three different commentary teams that mm-hmm. um that run in terms of like English speaking channels, but I think I, I, I find it a bit of a bugbear of like, I can, you can tell like when it's the real commentary and when it's like the fake commentary that's been like done hmm. in post-production. So I was just going to ask, um, like, what do you guys think about, um, about that? That's interesting. I, I can't decipher between the, the real and, and what's done in post-production, but it's like, if you have an ear for that, I, it would bother me if I could, but I, I don't really have the base to really decipher between the two. Yeah, me neither, Chris, you know, and I know it's it's been pointed out in the past how like they might go as far as to like grab clips from other races and to insert them into, you know, um, the retelling of, of, of a particular race just because it fits their narrative. Um, that, I, that would definitely drive me nuts if I if I could d- decipher it like one if I could tell between them um it, it would jump out at me a lot so i could imagine mm-hmm. that really uh annoying you i, I definitely yeah. think there's a line about like you know how much fiction you 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 can you can insert into a show for the sake of, of dramatic effect um and they definitely stepped close to if not cross that line on this show plenty of times you know to the point where it's angering the people that they're that are being presented i i i you know i'd love to get your assessment on like whether or not you feel like they've drawn like pulled that back a little bit this season or if you feel like it's just as egregious but i definitely think it's a warranted criticism of the show i think there's a little bit less um i think that especially having the drivers themselves turning around saying hey this this wasn't right or this wasn't right i think that's had a bit of an impact on um on the the production of it but i still think that there is there is bits and pieces where you can tell that's that's not right. That's different to what, what, um, how I remember this actually happening at, at the time. As soon as we get one of the play-by-play commentators, uh, what an episode of Drive to Survive this is going to make. That that's what I, I think my my warning signs will go up. Um, but let's let's move on to episode number two because this tackles one of the major themes of the past season. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready. It's going to be a bumpy ride. It's time to talk about porpoising. Way, I think this was your your favorite element of F1 in 2022, the development of porpoising in our episode Bounce Back. <laughs> the Bounce Back, lovely title. Yeah, so um this is the 
I would say dominant story, maybe, you know, um, throughout the, the first half of, of the season, it seems the fact that all these cars were suffering from, or at least the majority of these cars were suffering from this, um, relatively, uh, you know, uh, unpredictable phenomenon where they can't control these cars from bouncing. And, and so much of this is, is the result of a, for, a new design uh, across the, the, all, all, all the, all the vehicles care to t- talk to us a little bit more about that, Chris, you know, how, how does F1, how often does F1 maybe like, um, demand these sort of new designs and and what was it about this particular season that caused such issue so you usually it's maybe like in terms of like such a major uh change to the regulations you're looking at like maybe like six seven years that you'll have like odd little tweaks here and there from year to year but nothing in comparison to like what we had with this year the, the long and short of it was that the so to for, as part of the regulation change they were having to lower the cars in order to to produce the downforce that they were needing to keep the cars to give the cars the grip that they have to go around the corners as fast as they can um so the as the the air goes underneath the car it pulls the car down to the ground it's, it's called ground theory apparently um, they, they pulls the car down and the faster you go, the lower it pulls the car. The problem being that obviously as you pull it, if you pull it too far down, that airflow stops and the car then bounces back up because it doesn't have the, the airflow to pull it down. And then as soon as the car goes up, the airflow goes underneath and pulls the car back down, causing the bouncing effect. Mm, interesting. So this was something that you know plagued, uh, like if it, the way it was presented, it almost seemed like almost all the teams, right? Um, but they were quickly able to, at least a lot of them were quickly able to, um, at least uh, remedy it to some extent. But the the team that seems to be hit hardest by it was was Mercedes all season. Why did it take so much longer for Mercedes to try to figure this out than the other teams? Terrible team. Um- yeah, <laughs> I think it, I think it's just the way with how how they've um, how they've looked at the the specifications and the, the regulations. Every, like each of them, you you see at the in the start of the first episode where everybody's going around each other's cars and they're like, "Hmm, I'm not sure about that car. How does this car look?" And obviously, there's major differences between them. And obviously, the for some reason, Mercedes design just doesn't sit well with um coping with the with with this porpoising hmm. yeah we also get um our our full reintroduction of the most smug team principal in all of f1 it's christian horner of red bull who is just delighted at the fall of mercedes after years of domination this man i mean he just has uh, an air about him that well, it's unfortunate that they're having so many problems. That's glad thing. Glad that we're not having any of these issues because we're 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 poised to have a great season. So um, th- this would also lead to pretty much the godfathers of all these teams coming together for an F one meeting <laughs> and just having it out with one another because Toto Wolf is Toto pissed at all of these drivers that they're trying to hurt Mercedes. They're leaking stuff to the press and he, they don't know if Toto Wolf is just playing up for the cameras that are present for this meeting and 
Christian Horner is never going to give up an opportunity in front of your camera who is listening to all of Toto Wolf's complaints about Mercedes, what they're going through, and his advice, well, then change your fucking car. And Toto is just sick of all of this. I could have heard Christian Horner and Toto Wolf go back and forth for the whole episode. This would have been fine with me. This this was a gr- they should do these a few times a season. Bring all the principals into a room to yell at each other. I loved it. What what was Toto like trying to get changed here in in a meeting like this? What what was he arguing? I I think it maybe just like a regulation change or something like that. Maybe he was trying to thought well, he wanted something changed so that they could it reduce the whether that it it was like reducing the ride heights that were in, that were necessary or something. I don't know, but it just it um, it just the way that they were arguing, especially with that change your fucking car, and then Toto's like, well, Checo says your car's fucked, and it's just sort of like. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just like kids arguing. Obviously, not with the language, but it's just like the kid, just like a bunch of kids arguing. Like yours is shit. No, yours is shit. No, yours is shit. It's just but but like ultimately, like Christian Horner was right. Like you know, like why should we change? We figured out this problem. Um, at least you know, according to his own drivers. I, I think Mercedes comes off looking very poor here. Like to your point. Everyone experienced these issues. Everyone has gone through the regulation changes, and it's it's one or two teams that are still having these problems, the most prominent being Mercedes. Like, that is – it's problem-solving, and you haven't solved the problem. We have. Why do we have to, t- why do we have to step uh, take a step back instead of you raising your level to where we have ascended to? And, and, and if, if Toto truly, like, you know, cared about the safety and the health of his drivers, could he not have simply like increased the ride head or something? I mean, it would force him to slow down the car, but would that not have solved the issue? Like, you know, if he just decided to slow down the cars? Um, yeah, it would, it would have, but as you say, it's as, as someone who I think is as proudly competitive as total wolf. I don't think he could kind of, um, step back and say you know what maybe we should just step away from from the top end whilst we crank while we sort this out and we figure out what the problem is right but but it, it you know it just kind of pokes some holes at like the argument you know you 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 care about the safety of the driver but you also want to be fast enough to you know win these races um so which is it and as well, you have the the comparison. And one of the races they cover here is in Azerbaijan that Max Verstappen wins. And George Russell, who has been added to Mercedes, he finishes P3, uh, while Lewis calls it the worst race ever. And this porpoising issue is having a great impact on Lewis, who is also getting like He's injuring his back from this on, on top of it. They're starting to talk about, is Lewis going to walk away and retire from the sport? And... Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed as though as this issue was plaguing Mercedes throughout the first half of the season, it had a much bigger effect on Lewis than it did George Russell. Yeah, it it seemed to me as though whether whether it's something to do with the way that Lewis wants to set up his car or not, um, I don't know. But it seemed to me as though that was it was more of a Lewis issue issue than a, a Russell issue. Hmm. I wonder how much of that comes down to just like maybe the age of the driver as, as well. Like, you know, could could it be that like a younger, you know, uh, driver is able to withstand something like this a, a little bit more than somebody, you know, in his 30s? Um, yeah. 
but I just remember that like Baku race being especially heartbreaking, you know, um, not knowing all the issues that Lewis had already gone through and then seeing him get out of the car, um, just beaten down. Um, it, it, it was, it was that point where I think like much of the audience was, was demanding to see changes, um, because we don't want to see drivers, you know, harmed in this way. It also seems as though this season, more emphasis than ever on the car radios because, man, do you have some lines uh, th- this season. Uh, like Leclerc, I don't think anyone touched – fuck, fuck. But, man, uh, and they range from utter anger, like out-of-body experience anger versus such sheer disappointment where it's just these broken individuals to utter defiance in the case of like a Max Verstappen, like – Please do not bother me. Please, enough. Understood? I am not doing this. <laughs> I just think like the 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 radio transmission it adds so much to um, just getting into their heads in real time, where they are just it's on pure emotion. How did we feel about the uh, Joe Guan Yu crash? Um, the way that the, the way it was presented. I mean, it was one of the most intense crashes I've seen covered on DTS, and a miracle that the man came out unscathed, thanks to you know the, the halo, essentially. But how do you guys feel about the way it was presented here um, on Drive to Survive? Start with you, Let, Chris. Or, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Sure. Yeah. Um, the first time that we saw it, it was obviously not like knowing it was coming. And they'd shown in the in the trailer they had the um, the in the in car car view of of Joe as you can see the the, the car tipping over and obviously it just goes off. Um, but it was I think they they handled it relatively well. You're not um, yet you portrayed the drama, but you didn't push it to I think the levels that they did when with the Roman Grosjean crash back mm. at, um a few years ago where you 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 know you you're going into this and like is he dead because mm. of this fireball and this that and the other whereas that i don't think they necessarily left it as long for you to wonder just just the state of of how joe was yeah i mean f- first of all just from my pretty much one solid season of following this i think they're extremely respectful when these crashes happen they do not I don't feel they exploit it at all. They they don't shoot it. They sometimes don't even bring it up until they are aware that the driver is safe. Um, this being Netflix, it's obviously they are leaning heavily on the drama. And this was certainly one of the more dramatic moments of the season. My question to you, A, is that if you were part of this production and you were shooting in beautiful HD and this like they are showing this crash in slow motion, would you be able to just keep your camera on this car as it is rotating at debilitating speeds um, and just realize that you have to capture this moment. You mean like from from um, the perspective of like knowing that this person might be dead or or just like the physical feet of like we, we have a track. perfect shot of the like the person is on like race level and is shooting this car as it's flipping in midair mm-hmm. in slow motion like it's a perfect shot of this yeah. crash as it is happening it's the cleanest shot you're going to see of this crash and just the idea of getting in the head the headspace that you might be shooting a man dying in mm-hmm. and you have to make sure that you get a perfect shot of this like that is your task if that's your job that's your job right you know obviously like if you're close to the action and i think if you're choosing between whether or not you can actually physically get out to help the person 
you put the camera down, you help the, the human being, which is what George Russell did. Um, but if, if you know, somebody has a job to do to, to be able to capture this for whatever reason, maybe even just for legal reasons in the future, I think you, you, you just go ahead and do it if that's what you're assigned to. Um, I found it interesting that they were able to relate this. I mean, the overall story of this episode was about Mercedes, and they related this to George Russell because he was the guy who was closest to the scene, and he stepped out of his car to go and help Joe Guan Yu. Um, and what was his home race? You know, yeah, uh, this is in, the British Grand Prix. Yeah, um, and he was no longer able to continue. Now, I found it interesting, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but wasn't he unable to continue with the race, not because the car was damaged, but because he technically s- stepped out of the car? Yeah, which I the, the fact that it was never mentioned, just so that was why he was out, that was... And, and it was an interesting editorial uh, mm-hmm. point, but the, it, yeah, that was why it was. He, I think, the car was perfectly fine to carry on because he, it was only like a slight knock that he'd received, and I'm pretty sure that if he'd if he'd stayed in the car and drove back round, he would have been able to have restarted. It makes me wonder why they didn't mention it. You know, was it to protect F1? Um, because if you're trying to tell the story of a hero. A man who sacrificed his own hometown race in order to help a fellow driver who, you know, was involved in a very serious crash. I mean, that's a wonderful storytelling element. I mean, for a terrible, you know, incident. But why did they not mention it on this episode? Uh, Your guess is as good as mine. I think that, like, that rule, possibly, that you're not allowed to go and help somebody who's who's crashed. That that could possibly be, be, be a reason, but... I mean, it shouldn't be. As you, mm-hmm. as you say, it, it advances the story of George Russell. Uh, and they, they interview uh, Zhou Guan Yu after that. He, he said it was scary and he just closed his eyes waiting for it to stop and talk about how much it meant to him to have George Russell come help him. And yeah, I mean, if like this was a race I was watching live and I was frightened watching this because you can see in the background this car that just flies off the track and it's a while before you get a, a solid update on it. But it was it was pretty scary to, to watch in real time. And uh, thankfully, he appeared to walk away from this if like he didn't even miss a race after this. He was he was yeah. back um, whenever the next race was. It was either the following weekend or two weeks after. Yet just, you know, another incident that proves just how important the halo is and and these sort of advances are um, for, you know, to to protect the safety of these drivers. And and that was something that sorry, that was something that years ago there was there was even a lot of opposition to the halo initially that how can you how could those cars don't look right? And it was it was more of a a looks thing than than, you know, obviously the safety aspect of it is amazing. And it was just, no, those cars don't look right. You can't have cars driving around with this big monstrosity around the drivers. But obviously, it's it's been shown over the last few years just how uh, right of a decision it was to put those halos on, that, on the cars. So the British Grand Prix, though, it continues, and they go to the original grid order. And this puts Lewis Hamilton back to the P5 position and... We get a bunch of drama here at the end. Uh, Max Verstappen gets a tire puncture and gets overtaken by Carlos Sainz. And Hamilton goes for a tire change. And then you have Lewis Hamilton asking his team after he's leaving, are you sure this is the right tire? And he discovers that there is like no grip on these tires. 
and Hamilton is able to overtake Verstappen and Leclerc for first at one point, but does end up finishing P3, uh, but also gets the fastest lap, and it ends up with him being happy with his placement. Uh, And this ends the question that they had been uh, surmising throughout the episode of whether Hamilton is going to walk away or not, that this is his uh, commitment to the team. But we would have plenty of questionable uh, team calls throughout this season uh, between various uh, Mercedes and Ferrari uh, still to come of uh, of that people would call into question. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this tire strategy is like certainly one of those things that I, I don't know if it's been emphasized enough, like watching, you know, past seasons of, of Drive to Survive. Um, like strategy itself, I don't think is something that like Drive to Survive necessarily gets into or, you know, as far as like, you know, uh, when to use softs, when to use hards. It's more so just the idea of like whether or not the the people giving the orders are giving the right orders and you know whether or not the the, the actual uh drivers are, are agreeing or disagreeing but um um do you feel like you know um chris that like the show does enough to like educate a would-be fan about just more so the the technical aspects of of the sport i i don't think it does i mean even for something like the like the porpoising thing, obviously, the, like the majority of the episode is about that, and you get like in terms of explanation, it's literally just Will Buxton saying, "Yeah, here, there's the this was the uh, the new regulations, and now we've got porpoising, and that's it. There's hmm. there's, there's next to nothing." And I think, like, obviously, you maybe I like, is the intention of just like of the show just to be like, here's the racing, and then if you climb on board then you can kind of learn about it once you get to to watching the real racing i know like they want to be able to keep the show going at, a st- at whatever pace uh they have and maybe sticking in like a little 30 40 second thing of this is why this has happened and this is why this has happened i mm-hmm. think it might just interrupt the flow of the show and um i, I assume that would be why yeah, and I'm also assume, like assuming that like this this series and maybe part of the reason why it's been so successful, like you know, attracting a non typical race fan, is the fact that they essentially it's they're trying to make it as relatable as possible to somebody who might not have any existing interest in the racing itself. It's more so just you know a a, ve- a vehicle to tell the story of this your favorite versus another favorite, and this is why this guy isn't winning. Um, but, you know, I'm certainly at the level now where I crave more of that technical knowledge. And, you know, but 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 maybe that's not the intent of this show. I think this show is more about growing that audience, bringing people in and developing fans that you can then go out on your by yourself and you can find those outlets on your own. This is more about the, the human drama. And and I can't fault the, uh, from that. But uh, the hope would be that you create fans that are more interested in, in that type of stuff. And then all of a sudden you're listening to podcasts about uh, all the different tire formations, uh, yeah. as I was doing this morning. Uh, so our final episode we'll talk about today is episode three. Matter of principle. Some great naming. Uh, How about titles. these titles, John? What do you think? Not lighting my world on fire. I I think if you if you gave me uh, some time, I could I could probably go like Toto Recall would be one of mine. I think for sure. Um, Very good. There there we have it. <laughs> uh, we get this these awesome outtakes of uh, Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz 
cutting a shell commercial, and these are horrible actors uh, being placed into a shell commercial um, that I'm sure these shell executives were just ecstatic to have. There's nothing better than um, sports stars trying to do commercials and just the level of acting is so, so poor and it's just, <laughs> it just it makes for a, a new level of hilarity. Uh, it was just totally cringeworthy. Um, and then this is, you know, a major focus of 2022 is the continued uh, expansion into the U.S. And this is the Miami Grand Prix that if there is a race so far that these race car drivers and teams, they feel like utter rock stars here. Uh, this huge event they have at Hard Rock Stadium and we get uh, a party where the drivers are just uh, – hanging out with, with all of these celebrities. And, and is this where the Jerry Hallowell a cringe moment came for you, Chris? It is very much so. When when she's talking so patronizingly to uh, Matteo Bonotto, and it was just so like, oh, your car's really fast. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, just stop. Just please stop. It, it was like one of the more awkward, like cringeworthy conversations I've, I've seen featured Um on a reality show in, in quite some time. Um, oh, that's your car. That's that's adorable. That's your strategy against you. my husband's oh, Red Bull. That's great. Yeah, that's that's you won the first race. Good for you. My, my, my Christian wouldn't have done it that way, but you do you. You do you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. This like like the the fact that Jerry Hollowell is even a part of this world again like it's it's one of those things as somebody who had no prior uh, you know interest in F1 um that's that's it's one of the most bizarre yet like very enjoyable things about this entire show I so want she- David Beckham to get in on a ownership group of some sort uh, and come in maybe he'll pair up with like Michael Andretti or something um but yes, we're kind of jumping around to different races here. They focus on uh, in Monaco, where they undergo. Uh, this is this is where Leclerc loses his mind. the The entire story of this episode is, I mean, now that we've established that Ferrari are sort of like the best chance of like dethroning Red Bull at, at the top. This this episode is about the implosion of Ferrari. I mean, mm-hmm. Leclerc is doing, you know, by all accounts, really well. Signs just one Silverstone. Or at least, uh, sorry, that that a bit a bit of a, spo- or a spoiler, but um, like they're in contention, they're actually leading Red Bull in, in the constructors, and due to bad strategy calls, um, this this rain is is slipping away from them. Yes, this episode is signs of things to come for Ferrari. Hey. Uh, and Another great title. Here you go. Sure. I'm on, guys. So yes, so in Monaco, uh, Leclerc doesn't finish, so he very calmly screams at the top of his lungs. He did finish. He did finish though, didn't he? he like he, but he didn't place like in the top 3? Uh I wrote down here he didn't finish. I, I don't uh, think he finished. No, he, no, he was he didn't get on the podium. He finished okay. but he, was, he didn't get top 3. Okay. Um so uh Bonotto admits that there were multiple strategy errors in Monaco and he admits that the team really feels this criticism, um, and this is as Verstappen and Perez uh, pass Leclerc in the in the points, and you, you're starting to see Ferrari uh, come apart at, at the seams after that solid start in the first race of the season, and now you are seeing it's not just a bad week, but it is c- compounded issues that Ferrari is experiencing, and a, a huge spotlight given the Ferrari brand. Mm-hmm. 
I thought it did a good job in like presenting to you um, just how much of a team sport this is. You know, you could be the best driver in the world, but if your team gives you bad strategy or if your car is, for whatever reason, not performing the way it should, you're not going to win anything. Um, and, and this kind of, you know, showed you that um, the you could be a driver on a, on a, on a, on a team and you can start doubting your, your leadership. And it's certainly in this collage of like fuck ups from, you know, the team or at least, uh, the, the team principal, um, shows you how maybe inept, you know, you start to, to feel that, that, uh, Mattia Bonotto is, um, and this was sort of, certainly a bit of a running dis- conversation, you know, among the fan base as week after week, you know, Leclerc's sort of chances of winning the, the driver's uh, championship, continue to slip and uh carlos signs is asked his thoughts on the setbacks at ferrari and his thoughts are it is shit it is horrible and he proclaims i'm spanish i'm going to go full latino mode and this is our darker version of carlos signs who is he's not putting up with any of this anymore he is as they claim there is no number one driver at ferrari and uh carlos signs is a uh, Showcasing a lot more uh, personality here in this season. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, you know? Do you feel, Chris, that like Bonotto did particularly bad this season, or or was there like you know like what what sort of been the um, sentiment towards him in, in prior seasons? How long has he been principal for Ferrari? Um, was he just particularly bad this year, or was it building up to this? Off the top of my head, I'm not overly certain as to how long he, he's been he's been there for Ferrari. But um, I think he like I, came I up in their their system. Like he had been there, yeah. like kind of just rose the ranks up to team principal. I think it was one, once I think it was once uh, Stefano Domenicali left to become the head of the FIA and F1 in general. I think that was when he became 2019. team principal. Yeah, so I, I I don't think there was particularly anything that I'm aware of that was negative towards him. It was just I think because there was there was just a series of bad call after bad call after bad call, and I think that just started putting seeds of doubt in people's minds as to it, like is he the right person for the job? And and clearly, the answer was no in the end. So um, we see. Um... Another kind of perspective of the uh, the Zhou Ganyu crash, where it includes his video inside of his car that just goes out as the crash occurs, and and then the the restart that happens afterwards. And this is uh this is where signs he is the one that has the pole position at the British Grand Prix. So when the restart occurs, he is up at front, and the drama comes at the end when uh, Max Verstappen has to. Uh, has to box and Ferrari instructs signs to allow Leclerc to pass and signs comes in for new tires, but not Leclerc. They keep him in with his existing hard tires. Am I correct so far in this, in this assessment? So we have the, new tires a, for signs and Leclerc is on his old hard tires. There was a safety car as well. So this was the, the safety, right. This is safety after the crash from, the, from uh, it was who was it? Somebody pulled up on the old pit straight, um, and that that was what caused the safety car. And then um, signs comes in for the new tires. Hmm. And earlier we have uh, Leclerc pretty much being asked about you know if he has 
contradictory decisions to what the team instructs him. And he pretty much says, like, there is no... There is no disobeying the team. You follow those orders. And here we have the opposite occur when Carlos Sainz goes goes into business for himself. And he overtakes Leclerc for the lead. And Leclerc is just remarking, fucking hell. And Sainz wins the race. It's his first F1 win. And this goes to the point like this was great for signs but did this benefit the team overall and you've got uh bonotto here who has to put on a happy face but there is obvious dissension here within the ferrari ranks although you know one of their drivers does win the race so it is kind of that interesting dynamic we were talking about before of whether this was a celebratory moment or not mm-hmm. it, it, i thought like i thought it presented a good case by the end of the episode for like justifying signs. First of all, Chris, like was this like the way it played out in reality to, to your knowledge? Like did signs go into business for himself, so to speak? Kind of. So I think there was a bit of back and forth between um between engineer and driver, and it was more so like give give uh, give Charles the ten ten car link fleet, protect him, and he, he was very much coming back saying, look. That's not gonna. That's not gonna do us any good. That's gonna damage us because if if I've got Hamilton on my back and he gets past, then Leclerc's a sitting duck. And it was more so of just let me go and it'll protect our lead. It'll protect Ferrari's win, which mm-hmm. it, it, it was. The, I think it was the right call in the end. But in terms of, and I think there was a, a line at the end that uh, Ted Kravitz, guy's pit reporter, said his his line at the end was, "What a day for for Ferrari!" But they won with the wrong car, and it was very much mm. Leclerc. Leclerc's your number one driver. He should be the guy who's, if if you're pushing for him to win the world title, he should be the guy that you're you're protecting and allowing to win. So maybe mm. he should have been the one that came in for the stop for new tires and leave science in the in the position of having the old tires and trying to protect the lead Mm. so a lot of like you know layers here in like you know several factors um that that leads to this result but as far as like you know the driver's motivations go um you kind of empathize with the both of them right you know leclerc wanting to protect his uh, or at least um, you know his his contention for the world championship and then you have carlos Sainz, who's never won an f1 race before and i mean as a maybe more you know more of a as a science fan i, I mean i kind of wanted to see that result um itself but I I would say like you know because of all these kind of conflicting reasons for each driver wanting to take the lead, I kind of felt sorry for you know Bonotto here like and the stress of being a team principal having to make all of these big decisions on the fly. Which team do I pull in to you know make the tire change? Am I going to screw one of these guys by bringing them in for a tire change? Hard to know, but that's why they get paid the you know the millions and millions of dollars, right? Yeah, and the stress that comes with it. Yes. Um, so after three episodes, I guess, how would you assess, Chris, the the start of the season and, and how much you were into this? Like, I'll say myself that I feel I'm I'm more engaged in the actual races now than I am the the series. Um, you know, these first three episodes, I can understand that they're there's some co- compelling aspects to it. They have incredible access and such. I think if you're new to the series, you could get into it. Um but but I, I did find myself just looking at it as though this is more to me of an add-on rather than the the main course for your F1 consumption. Um, I mean, in for, for me, 
because I say I watched I watched the the entire season on Friday when it came out, and it it did keep me going. And um, I think in general it was pretty good. There are obviously there are problems with it, which I'm sure you'll get to going on with the further episodes. But um, it was those three, like those first three, and especially doing the the Mercedes story and the Ferrari story, which are really the main two uh, stories of the of of the season because I mean, but let's let I mean, Red Bull were away and were far, far and away the best. Um, and when you've got a runaway lead like that, you don't really necessarily want to be covering that because it's fit filming a one horse race. You don't, you know, d- does that make the sport look good? Um, whereas if you focus on the stories further down, Oh, this is quite interesting. There's a, this really good battle, which, Obviously, sets up later on as as Mercedes and Ferrari start getting closer, as the as the Mercs get better, the Ferraris get worse, and um, it's that's the main story going on further into the season. But um, it was, yeah, I think it, it was there were solid episodes, and I think it was it, it set things up uh, pretty well. Mm-hmm. I. I enjoyed it again, like you know, maybe knowing the results makes it uh, a, a bit less suspenseful um, when I'm rewatching it. But I think I enjoyed it just to maybe as a refresher and, and a recap of like some of the main storylines. Um, and and to like the things I enjoy the most about the show at this point now are like the behind the scenes footage um, that that we don't normally get to see, like that you know pr- team principal meeting in Montreal. Or seeing uh, Gunther and and Mattia Bonotto like driving around a beautiful you know vineyard. Honestly, like one of the things that I really enjoy about the show is like seeing the extravagant lifestyles of these millionaires and like these sort of like picturesque you know um, places that they live in. Like even Gunther, like in a future episode, living in this like beautiful you know American cottage. Um, it's it's not something most of us will ever get to experience. Probably not. The final thing, after three episodes, who was the most compelling character of the first three episodes, Chris? Um, I would say Toto. I, th- I think his, his outburst, like some of his outbursts um, in, in uh, episode two, I think he, um, whether, whether he was kind of slowly turning himself into the villain of the piece, and just how he's having to change his expectations, change how he looks at at at, at, uh, at where Mercedes are going forward. I think, for me, anyways, I think it would be him. Yeah, I kind of him, him and Bonotto in the the first like it is. Here are these dynasties that are now crumbling, or at least you know falling from that that perch, and how they deal with. Uh, something that they're so unaccustomed to, like they are having all of these problems and how that changes th- their own psyche as these are like these these born winners that have had so much domination in the sport. But I would say Toto more than anyone, I think he's he's really subscribed to the Gunther Steiner approach to this of I'm going to steal every scene I'm involved in and every scene I am imagining how it will fit in the coming this season uh, series of clips. We are, of course, missing the the, the vital uh, the vital part, which was his reaction to um, when the Joe crash happened, and he 
sitting there watching going on and there's Tom Cruise ask, like st- stood next to him. He's like, is he okay? And like Toto just turns to the engineer next to him and he's just kind of like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was waiting for Tom Cruise to say, so you compared this to Top Gun as opposed to a documentary. I just wanted to know what you meant by that comparison point. <laughs> I, I think it's a compliment. Honestly, like, you know, Top Gun was a was a great action movie and I mean this Yeah, he didn't pick series. some like some like crap action movie. I mean, Top yeah. Gun if you're going to be compared to an action movie, you could do a hell of a lot worse than than Top Gun. Although had he seen Maverick by that point? Or was he he did say, he only Top said Gun? Top Gun. He didn't specifically hmm. say Maverick. I I feel he meant Maverick, but hmm. I don't know. We can we can't go to uh too in depth into Toto's head. Um, that best character for a spin-off though. It's it's either Toto or Gunther, I think. I think Toto you might have more legs with. Yes, yes. Or or the uh or maybe Total Wolf um the dog will get its own reality show. That's right. The, the Adventures of Gunther and Jean. <laughs> that is the <laughs> Like they go on vacation together? Yeah, with with the occasional appearance by Mattia Bonotto like in in that little yeah. Something fiat. always goes wrong and Gunther has to clean up the mess that Jean can't, can't find out about. But you never see Jean. No, yeah. no. He, he foots the yeah. bill for the vacation that they go on, and Gunther just has to make sure that this is not a money losing endeavor for yeah. for Gene. He's got a lot tied up in this. Um, well, shall we talk a little bit about the race coming up this weekend in Bahrain? Uh, yes. Uh, so this is the the opening race of the season, and I guess what what are some of the key stories going into uh, race number one and this this season as a whole in Bahrain, Chris? Um. Well, this. Going into it, like obviously testing happened last weekend. Um, as you would expect, Red Bull clearly uh, looking the best. Um, hopefully, it's not going to be quite as one horse racy as it was uh, last year. Um, from from what I've been reading up, Ferrari were fairly quick. They had issues with their tires, though. So we'll see if they can fix that. Mercedes. They had an Im- improvements, but still a lot of work to do. But the this almost a surprise going coming out of it was just how well uh, Aston Martin were. Uh, hmm. Supposedly they they were pretty good and could be a contender to be the the top of the midfield um, cars. And and I guess like if you're somebody who's only watching Drive to Survive, you don't want spoilers, and maybe that you should tune out here because um, we're obviously going to have to talk about present day. But um, new drivers, um, you know, for several of the teams, including Aston Martin, with Fernando Alonso joining. Yeah, there, there was very much the, a, a merry-go-round with uh, obviously Sebastian Vettel retiring at the end of last season, Alonso uh, leaving Alpine to go to Aston Martin. He was replaced by Pierre Gasly from AlphaTauri, who was then in turn replaced by the former Formula E and F2 champion Nick DeVries. Mm. Um, You've then got Danny Ricciardo leaving McLaren. He's been replaced by Oscar Piastri. And unfortunately, we we have the end of Nicholas Latifi at Williams, uh, who's a bit of a cult hero, uh, I know, on the the public discord. The pride Um, of Canada. National hero here. He, he's he's been replaced by um, Logan Sargent from uh, who's an American driver, um, and the only the American, la- right? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. The, he, I don't think there's been it's been a good few years since there's been an American driver. Which again, going back into um, the idea that 
that they want to push F1 into the States and especially with that being uh, free Grand Prix in America this year, um, having having an American on the grid could be a uh, a big game changer. And is then Williams going to get is Williams going to get one point this season? <sighs> I'm going to say no. <laughs> I, I, and I, I and I love I love Williams. That like me growing up back uh, like watching it in the nineties when they like Mansell and Damon Hill and Jack Villeneuve and. It, that they had this amazing history with in in that era, and so I've got a lot of I've got a soft spot for for Williams, but just the current state of the team, I don't see them um, improving enough to get somewhere. And their team principal has been replaced too, right? Joe Capito. Um, you know more than I do on that one. Then why? <laughs> I believe so. But, uh, we also um, – I'm looking here at the teams that uh, Haas, we're going to have to refer to them as their proper name, Moneygram Haas. <laughs> and, yeah, I was uh, – the, the final the final driver replacement is with Haas, and it's uh, poor Mick Schumacher being replaced by uh, the returning Nico Hulkenberg. Another blast from the past as Nico is, is back. So, yeah, one Canadian driver, one American driver. As uh, Lance Stroll, I think he'll always have a position. Although I, I think he gets a lot more flack than he deserves. There, there was actually some news with Lance Stroll today. He, there, there was, oh. uh, he, he had a cycling accident a couple of weeks ago. So he oh, was a doubt for uh, Bahrain this weekend. But um, I know Aston Martin released a statement this morning saying apparently he's fit enough to race. So he'll be there on the grid this weekend. All right. Well, any prediction? Who, who's going to come out on, on top this Sunday? It's it's tough to look past Max, really, or at least one of the any either of the 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 Red Bulls. Um, I hope I hope it's something different. I hope I'm wrong, but I think that's where we're we're going to head. From a technical perspective, like I guess, are are there any significant changes in the car designs this year that that we should be looking out for? There, there's. I know that there are. A couple of changes to do with porpoising. Um, I, I haven't got off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly what they are, but there's a couple of changes with that. And then um, because of the what happened with, with Joe, there's been modifications for the the uh, the specification of the the roll hoop on top of the car. So hopefully that if something were to happen, it wouldn't break off in the way that it it did um, in mm. with that incident. Yeah, I, right. I again fact check me on this, but I my understanding is that they've also added a new type of hard, like a, a harder tire than even the the previous. Uh, they had uh, these tires had a, like a delineation of like C one to C five. Does this sound accurate, Chris? Yeah. And now they've added the C zero tire, which would be the hardest tire for I guess the uh, the most difficult. Uh, terrain to to go through. So uh, what that means, uh, I'm not going to spoil it for everyone. What that means for so, like, they can the, go off road, the like they can go on <laughs> mud. It's just, it's just a harder tire. I don't I don't know. Maybe oh. maybe when you're driving through Las Vegas, you want to be prepared. You don't know what you could be driving over. True, you're right. That's that's the that's coming up uh, when Vegas. That's not till uh, what October or so. I, it's it's late. I in the can't season. remember. For, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, I think I think it is back end of the season. Yeah, that's that's going to be one of the like when you hear that, I mean, it just screams like video game. It's like you're going to have Vegas as your backdrop. So it's, um, it's oh, it's not till November. So wait, it's November. Really? The 16th. It's, 
and it's a Saturday yeah. as well. Yeah, so it's uh, really late in the season um, that they'll be going to Vegas, which uh, I guess temperature-wise really doesn't matter. So, um, yeah, that's – so how many American races are It's Austin, Miami, and Vegas. Is it three? Yeah, those are the three. Okay. Way are we going to Montreal in the in the summer? I don't know if I'll ever make it to an F one race. Like you know what these prices like these are very very expensive tickets. What if what if we get bagels and we go watch it at uh, uh, at a bar? That I'm down for. Yes. Okay. I, I'm just looking at it by the way that um, that Vegas weekend, the the actual the track time or the time it's going to start is going to be at ten o'clock at night. Yeah, so obviously right, the they, they're going they're going wow. down the strip and it's it's oh I'm I'm so looking forward to it. It's going, it's going to be very cool incredible. to do it at ten, night. You, you don't want to do it during the amazing. day. Well, yeah. Seven yeah. on the on the west coast, I'm assuming, right? Because ten on the east coast that that would be like one a.m. No, that's, like, that's that's I've got it on I've, on the the F1 website. Yeah, dude, it's one a.m. Eastern time. It's six a.m. UK time on the sun on the Sunday morning. Huh. Yeah. And it's wow. Saturday night at 1 a.m. So I guess I guess if you're doing it like, you know, primarily for a European audience, it, it would be more advantageous to have it a bit later. But yeah, like on the on the East Coast, are you going to even stay up for it, John? 1 a.m. No, no, not on a Saturday. Uh, I'll watch it Sunday morning <laughs> like usual. Will, That'll be me. Will it, will it the, depend if there's a UFC card on that night? Well, there will definitely be a <laughs> UFC card that night. The question will be if it's a pay-per-view or not. I would imagine UFC is going to steer clear of Vegas that, that weekend, I think. Uh, concede the city when, when mm-hmm. F1's in town. But anyway, uh, it's it's a new season. I think one of the added advantages of Drive to Survive, if they really do give a lot of emphasis to – even if you have a blowaway season like last season to get into the alternative um, spots and the constructors series as well, that guys fighting for third or even down just to be in the top 10, that stuff matters. And that stuff can take on a bit more weight, even if, you know, Red Bull is running away with things, which could be the case this season again. Mm-hmm. Agree. So we'll all be following money, Graham Haas and, and see how that, how they hold up. And, just to give everyone an update, Chris will be back with us later this month uh, to go through some more episodes. But next week, uh, we are going to be back chatting episodes four, five, and six. And we are going to be joined by another member of the Post community. JC will be joining us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, JC has been, uh, you know, at least a pretty um, interactive um, on our forums talking a bit about f1 and uh she's somebody who actually does a lot of writing for the sport um she has sent us some incredible breakdowns of f1 so i'm looking forward to chatting with her uh next week so that'll be three episodes and then chris comes back on uh march 16th and then we'll wrap up our look at season five on march 23rd so all we all month long uh you can jump on to postwrestlingcafe.com for our follow-up discussions on uh drive to survive and uh chris thank you so much for navigating us through the uh the world of f1 and uh we'll, we'll chat with you in a couple of weeks and see how how the f1 season is shaping up and if uh, max verstappen has already clinched the title this year i had not a problem to come on and it's it it's an absolute honor to be on with you guys it's uh it's been great and if you want to uh chat with uh chris a bit more about f1 do join postwrestling.com slash discord where i believe chris you've actually just set up a fantasy league that people can join I have done yes. Uh, there's a if you go onto the Discord and go to announcements, um, you'll find the link there. It sends you to the F1 website where you can set up a team. And uh, there's I, I haven't I haven't checked in a couple of days. I know that there was at least five 
maybe six teams in there already. So, but you can change your team throughout the season, and there's points for different things, but like for like overtakes, obviously for if, for like positions in the race, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, so go there and join that and and uh, get involved with it. And you know what? Just to kind of make things simple, I might even include a link to um, the where you can join um, on the in the show description as well. So it's a great way to maybe get engaged. I'm gonna put a team together myself too and uh, take part in my first fantasy league. All right. Well, um, also, whilst we're talking about the Discord, um, as 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 has was run all of last season, every round, every weekend that the F1 is on, I will be running prediction competitions. Uh, all kinds of different subjects that, and for, like big shout out to the Lord of the Cord himself, Mr. Phil Chertok for setting all of this up. Um, but yeah, we, we, we have predictions on qualifying on races and, and all of that. And the, the, the biggest shout out goes to uh, Caboose who won last year's competition um, and the tables all been set up again for this year. So we will see who comes out of it as uh, the winner for this year. All right. Uh, everyone get behind Caboose. And uh, maybe for, for the remaining episodes, I will make sure to get up a, a feedback thread, uh, not just for thoughts on the series, but if you have some basic questions just about F1, uh, send them in so Way and I can say, I don't know, and we can pass <laughs> along to Chris and JC. So uh, we will do that uh, starting next week as well. So uh, for Chris, Way, I am John Pollock, and we got to go because... Uh, We've got to call Gene.